What do you do when your perfect corporate work environment turns into a drama-filled nightmare? What do you do when your business idol tells you that no one will take your dreams seriously? And how do you follow your dreams when you're trying to provide for your family? Those are the questions Esty Rand faced before she left her corporate job to become a small business consultant. Today, Esty is sharing her story of creating an industry through opposition, how to slow down the speed dating Insta marketing process, and where your ideal clients are partying. This is a must-listen episode. This is like a free marketing masterclass, and I can't wait for you to learn from Esty. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Esty, from what I know of your story, you have a lot in common with our listeners. You left a corporate job, noticed a need in your community that aligned with an interest and a gift set of yours, and you turned that into a business. Can you share about this for those of our listeners who might not know your story? For sure. So I was working as the CIO of a multinational nonprofit, and I loved my boss. I loved my job. And I had flex time, which is so unusual at that level of an organization. But I'd been with that so long, and the trust was strong that I was able to be a mom to my kids and work. And so life was great until they hired this middle manager who might have seen me as slightly threatening because he was a total moron. So you could see the feeling was mutual. And (laughs) he basically um, took my team, kind of unofficially demoted me, was like, you're my new secretary. I'm like, no, no, I'm the CIO. Like I've got a team. He's like, nope, your team is my team and you're the new secretary. And after a lot of tears and a lot of fears, I kind of said, nope, I'm the new leaving person. Bye. (laughs) I'm done with this. And it was terrifying. I had three little kids at the time and I was the primary supporter of our family. My husband was still studying and I did not know what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't keep the job anymore because I had no life. It drama was so intense. The environment was completely toxic and I just I had to quit. And so I did. And uh, I had been harboring the secret dream of doing small business consulting because I was just, this is 2010, 11. So it was beginning of the small business boom coming out of the 2008 recession. And I was watching everyone try to like, you know, be a massage therapist, sell on Etsy, bake cupcakes, like everything. And I'd be sitting in cafes and like overhear people at the next table be like, I think I'm going to sell cupcakes for a dollar. What do you think? I'd be like, you you just have no clue what you're doing. (laughs) Like, please, 
please. Like I have a business degree from a top business school in New York. I've been running profitable businesses literally since I was 10 years old, always as a side hustle, but always profitable. And I was like, I can help these people. I know I can. Um, but as a responsible wife, mother, breadwinner, I was like, I'm not going to do that full time, like run my own business. That's stupid. Um, so I took on a few different jobs and I was meeting headhunters and uh, I met this one headhunter who I remember is a former McKinsey consultant. And I remember just looking at her, idolizing her, honestly, just being like completely wowed because she was a former McKinsey consultant who was running this like little HR racket, like out of her living room. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Like have this like business where I could be a mom, run it maybe out of my living room and earn really good money and be there for my family and, and help people like her, like the whole deal. And so she's interviewing me for these C-level positions. And at one point she looks at me in the eye and she's like, Esty, what's the dream? Like, what do you really want to do? And so obviously I confide in her, right? Because like, she's the idol. She can really help me out here. And I say, I want to do small business consulting. I see so many dreamers out there and I know I can help them. I know I have the information. I have the tools. I know I can help them. And she looks at me and I'll never forget this. And she says, Esty, no one will take you seriously. No one will hire you. Oh, wow. And what did that do for you? Um, so I was shredded, right? I went home. I still remember standing next to the window in my kid's room. I, I remember exactly where I was and the sunlight is streaming in and there are tears streaming down my face because she just completely shredded my dream. It was like, you foolish 20 something millennial like dreamer, this will never work. And I was devastated. I was like, right, it'll never work. I was dreaming. I knew it. I knew it was like a cute idea. I just need to get a job. Forget it. Forget my whole dream of work-life balance. Forget my whole dream of helping people. Forget it. But I was really lucky. I had good support. My husband supported me. I had good friends supporting me. They're like, oh, that's old business. Your new business. That's big business. Your small business. And so I took on three jobs because <laughs> I'm crazy. I worked for a business brokerage firm. I worked for the Mobile Marketing Association, which is a multinational trade association specializing in mobile marketing um, technologies. And I tried to start this thing on the side because, you know, I still liked it and it took off. How did you get to that point though, where basically someone says, you, no one's ever going to take you seriously to still, was there like a voice inside or something that you were just like, even though she said this, was it almost a point of like, I'm going to prove this person wrong? Or was it more like, no, I, I just really believe I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> Uh, I think it was the latter. I think mm -hmm. it was, I really believe I'm supposed to do this. I didn't, and I am a contrary personality. Like if you tell me it has to be blue, I'm like, I think purple, why blue? Like that is my nature. Um, but here it was such a big weight because it was something I wanted so badly. I was too scared to, to, um, to be contrary about it, but I just wanted it so much. And I believed in it so much and I knew I could help. And I saw the people and I knew I could help them. And, and I, I feel like I was almost just compelled, you know, like I believe in destiny. I believe in souls. I believe in God. Everyone has their version of what that higher power is. I really feel like this was just, you know, and looking back, I think I'm right, but what I needed to do and bring to the world. And I was just compelled to try. I was like, I just have to try. So yeah, it's a stupid idea. So I'll take on other jobs at the same time. I'm not going to try and do this full time because it might not work, but I've got to try. Was there ever a time that you were, because I find sometimes when I think, 
because ideas come to me and I'll either push them down until I can't push them down anymore because they just continue. It's like, no, no, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. Did you find that almost the more you went out, the more you would overhear these conversations to a point where it was just getting really loud and you thought, okay, like, you know what I mean? When something is so... when you're trying to say no to it, but it keeps coming around to you. And was there ever a time when you were maybe in a coffee shop and someone said they want to sell cupcakes for a dollar that you actually leaned in on the conversation and said, can I, can I tell you, no, like you're going to have to sell those cupcakes for $6. (laughs) Like did that ever happen? (laughs) Oh my gosh. That happens all the time. I give unsolicited advice all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely all the time. Like I go to trade shows and I'm like, listen, you didn't ask me, but can I just tell you something about your booth? Like you really need to change these things. (laughs) And that's how I got a lot of my early clients. Actually, I would just, I would give unsolicited advice. That's what I was wondering if that's just kind of like, maybe if in your mind you thought, well, it's not going to be a business, but I still have this great advice for people. So I'm just going to give it. And then if that kind of started rolling into this side business. Yeah, no, that that's a big part of how it started. So one of my best clients, one of my most longstanding clients, a guy who's been with me almost since day one, I was sitting in a coffee shop networking um, because I, even though I started as a freelancer, my dream was always to have the full service consulting firm that I now have where we do strategy and we do implementation. Like I wanted to be McKinsey for micro businesses like that. And that's kind of what we are at this, at this stage. We're all over the world. We've got people who do strategy. We've got implementation logo. Like we want, I wanted that all along, but in the beginning I couldn't hire anybody. So I was just networking and I would do partnerships. So I'm sitting with this guy who's like a graphic designer printer and we're discussing marketing, we're discussing partnership. And someone at the other table overhears me and comes over and says, my husband's trying to launch a business. I think he needs your help. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, here's my card. I, I had business cards from like the first day, Vista Print, obviously. Um, and like, let's be in touch. And of course I followed up also. Um, that guy has been with me for over 10 years. He opens his business, made it crazy profitable, opens his second location, um, all from his wife overhearing me at a coffee shop. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. It's pretty cool. He's one of my favorites. He's one of my, we just recently launched his new website also. And, and people say to me, people stick with you. So most people we, we help, I like to be dispensable, right? Because micro business, I don't want you to be dependent on me. That's not financially prudent for anybody. Now um, micro business for those who may not know. So I define micro business as anywhere from like a solopreneur to a 30, 20, 30 person company and uh, trying to get to that until the seven figure profit mark, most businesses are still in micro stage. Like for sure until the six figure profit stable, they're in micro. They sometimes head into like small business territory a little bit, you know, between the six and seven. And again, I'm talking profit because I have seen businesses that can be turning over eight figure revenues that are five figure profit or less. So revenue numbers are cute for like Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine because everyone thinks they're cool. But dude, if you don't got money in your pocket, I don't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's not 100%, working. 100%, yes. So that that's how I define micro business. Okay, good. I love it. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions, so many directions I want to go. <laughs> um, but I'm going to start, I'm going to try to stay on track here. Okay, so how did you go from noticing a need for business advice in your local community to marketing those services online? Like, how did you take your business from kind of those local coffee shops to, to global? Because now you're helping people all over the world. 
Yeah. So that actually, it's such a great, no one's ever asked me that question. Um, I was really late to the game actually. So this should give everyone a lot of hope and encouragement. I was not really on social media at all until maybe like six years ago, which is very late in the game guys, for anyone who's, who's playing. Um, I had like a joke of a website until about five years ago. Like I really was, um, almost local. So the global started almost immediately because it was referral based. So even when I was only um, promoting locally, I was getting multinational clients because people were just sending me like, oh, I've got this guy out in England you need to talk to, or this guy out in Montana. Like people would just send me people. But the online marketing stuff that we started, it really, I'm trying to think, where did it kick off? Because it it was really late. I didn't end up meshing with Facebook. We just never really got along. It's not my party. I teach social media as a party. Facebook is the reunion party. My high school's now had three reunions. I haven't managed to make it to any of them. Like <laughs> reunion parties just don't do it for me. Um, I did zoom into the last one. I, I'm from New York and I now I live in Los Angeles. So I, I didn't fly in for the reunion, but I did zoom in. Um, they they walked around, one of my friends walked around with a, a computer. <laughs> it's great. Um, so I popped in for a sec. That's kind of how I treat Facebook. Um, and then Instagram I tried. And also like, I feel like it was, it was a little too coffee shop for me, if you will. Right. That's how I see Instagram. It's the coffee shop, pretty pictures on the wall. Everyone's chatting. I really took off when I found my groove on LinkedIn about two and a half years ago, right when LinkedIn was starting to tip. And I'm really big on LinkedIn now. I co-host the LinkedIn Influencer Summit, which is January 29th, 2020. I was out speaking at LinkedIn Global in, I don't remember when it was, September, um, co-founder LinkedIn Local LA. So when I first hit LinkedIn, I was like, oh, I could hang out here. Like this could work. And uh, and I just took off there. And I feel like that was the beginning of my real online presence, if you will. I feel like everything kind of grew out from there. Um, so when you, when you find your groove, that and, and also a little after that is when I started my podcast, Business Breakthrough. And so between my LinkedIn presence and then my podcast, I feel like that started hitting you know, multinational audiences and multinational connections and really started getting me into the whole online marketing space altogether. I was like, one second. I mean, I don't have to travel. I don't even have to, um, <laughs> I want to say get dressed, but I do get dressed. I, I always get dressed even when I'm on video conference, <laughs> audio only. I do get dressed. Although shoes are, are bonus in my opinion, but, and I can reach tens of thousands of people okay, I could do this. I could do this. And this, I have now five children. I can come home at night back to my kids. This is awesome. So I, I think that's really how it started. You, you have to find your place. There are so many options for me. Podcasting and LinkedIn was it. That was a great question. Well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for answering it. You answered it great. Now I have a question about LinkedIn because I think sometimes, and maybe this comes from me um, originating from a creative industry, and now I'm much more into business, but so many of my students are still in the creative industry and they're, they only talk about Instagram. We talk about Instagram, we talk about Pinterest and how Pinterest lead can lead people to your website. I mean, I get a ton of of um, views on my website that come from Pinterest. But LinkedIn, now I want you to kind of talk to me a little bit about this because I don't understand really what you do on LinkedIn besides post your profile, your bio. Like how are you, how are you using it like social media? 
Totally. So yeah, LinkedIn really is, it's different than the other platforms. And for straight up creatives, it might not be the right party. Like I'll be honest. Um, but the, and for many people, LinkedIn is just a place to host their resume, but LinkedIn about two and a half years ago, maybe three started, started becoming a hangout. So LinkedIn has a feed now as a home feed, which looks a lot like Facebook. Um, Again, if every social media platform is a party and Facebook's the reunion and Instagram is the coffee shop, LinkedIn is the networking event. People come there to talk business, to learn about business. I find that it's more intellectual, although recently um, some of the big names in the business have been like promoting LinkedIn. So like Gary Vee, for example, came out strong on it in 2019. And then all of it, oh my gosh, all these like 17-year-olds were like, let me try this. What happens here? How does this work? <laughs> so the feed gets a little cluttered. But what what's, what I love about LinkedIn and who it's best for, in my opinion, is B2B service providers. Those are the people that can really kill it in their business. People who are looking for jobs also, it's amazing if you're trying to get a job or if you just want to have the security that you could have a job anytime you want, right? Because the higher level professionals hang out there and, and talk business. Um, but for B2B service providers, so again, anywhere from graphic and web design to HR to corporate event planners, like anything that's a B2B or business consultant like me, all the different marketers, financial consultants, accountants, bookkeepers, B2B service, like that, that's the category that I'm, I'm seeing. They thrive because it's more of a business networking event type platform Business people are there talking about business, learning about business. It's a really easy segue to, hey, let's talk business <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, and so there's a fee. So I actually have a program called LinkedIn 3030 um, at connectionstoclients.com. I have like a free little training um, people can check out where I walk through the five steps to turning your LinkedIn connections into clients. So uh, I'll give it to you in very brief. Like any party, you want to get dressed. So you want a sales optimized profile. So your profile, in addition to hosting your resume, you want to make it sales ready. And there's like, I think I have 10 different things that you do to make your profile sales ready. Um, then you want to meet new people. LinkedIn, the way you can connect to people is unbelievably cool. So Instagram, um, you know, you can follow people, but they have to follow you back, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Facebook, you friend people. And if you're friends, they're automatically your friend. But on Facebook, because it's the reunion party, people don't like to friend strangers. They're like, I don't know you. I've never met you. I don't want to be your friend. Um, so you get dressed for the networking event. And, and that's why it's like on Instagram, you wouldn't necessarily talk about, you know, and some people do, they bear it all on Instagram also, but like on average, it's very light chatter. It's pretty, it's light, it's coffee shop type. And on Facebook, it's like, oh my gosh, I had the worst day and have this fungus in my toe. And then my kid's principal called me. And it was the kind of thing like you would talk about at a reunion. Like to your friends. Yeah. Um, and you would not say that on LinkedIn because you're at a professional networking event. No one wants to hear about the fungus in your toe. No one cares. Right. They will ignore this you. This makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 Do not post a meme on LinkedIn because you look like an idiot. Right. I gotcha. Right. Um, but professional advice or like one of my posts that went viral recently, um, it's got like 27,000 views or something, um, is talking about firing a client. Right. So talking about clients, firing clients is like, whoa everyone's in on that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so those are the kinds of things that really, really go on the platform. Um, so you get dressed for the party appropriately in your networking clothes, which means your, your LinkedIn profile shot should not be your puppy, should not be you in your latest flame. <laughs> it's a professional headshot. 
Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of things like that. Um, and then we meet new people. So like I was saying, Facebook, it's reunion party. So people won't friend you, but LinkedIn's a networking event. What do you do at a networking event? You meet new people. So people will connect if you look like someone they want to know. You don't have to be someone they know, just someone they want to know. And so you can build a network. I have uh, 15 and a half thousand connections on LinkedIn. And one of the things I teach in my LinkedIn 3030 program is how to build your, your network by the thousands in a matter of months. Um, and you do it strategically, but because it's an, it's that open space. Again, if you went to a reunion, it would be awkward to make, make a lot of new friends, right? I was talking to their friends. So you get in and that's why my like Facebook strategy when we teach people is going through groups because in groups, you're, you're coming into a group and then people can get to know you and then you can become friends on the outside also because that, that's how it works in circles. Um, but on LinkedIn, people are totally fine at a networking event walking up to strangers and saying, hi, I'm Esty. I help business owners earn more money with less headache. What do you do? There's an introduction. It's a networking event. People are like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm Jessica. I do amazing, cool things with creative business owners. Sorry, I didn't know your your opening line. But like, we could meet and just interact there. And it's not this like... It, that's the space. And so you meet new people and, and we teach three specific strategies of how you, you get your ideal people in your network. Um, then you join the conversation. And th this is my five point plan for all social media platforms. I'm just giving you the, how it applies on LinkedIn. I have, I have a version for each of them uh, because I'm nuts like that. So you join the conversation and we teach like, you know, three different kinds of posts that you want to do and some of the algorithm hacks and also um, a certain commenting strategy that you're joining the conversations. Cause how do you get to know people at any event at a networking event. People are talking, you're joining, they get to know you. And then no deals are closed in the feed. So we teach a DM strategy where you, cause you take it outside, right? At the party, even at the networking event, you're not going to close a deal in the middle of the room. You're going to go to the side, you're going to sit at a table, you're going to, you know, take it to a phone call. So that's the four point plan, how you turn your connections into clients and become a linked fluencer, as we like to call them. That's incredible. And that's really important. My dad and I were having this conversation just last week. He called and my dad was one of the most successful salesmen back in his day, you know, when he was in his 40s, which he just turned um, 70. So this was, you know, 30 something years ago. And he was responsible in the state of Arkansas for the big like $80 million sale, which was, um, you know, Motorola two-way radios for getting that for like all of the Arkansas like state police and firefighters and school district. Like he sold, he worked for Motorola and we talked about how for I, I remember vividly because I was I was growing up and I was I was in his house, obviously, and he would have all these dinners and these meetings and how he really had to network. He really had to court people. He really had to take these people that were going to make this decision out to dinner. He had to get to know their families and go to ball games and all this stuff and how today sales, you have to kind of yes. do the same thing, but you're doing it virtually and how people are forgetting that. They're forgetting that you still have to, even though you may not be at this at, at a potential client's son's baseball game, <laughs> the, the is still important. And the, and the uh, reaching out to people and the effort made is still important. And I think sometimes because things are so virtual, we can get a little lazy with that. Totally. People forget that there's a courtship process. You know, I had um, someone in my marketing magic program. Um, she, she put in a question. We, it's a group coaching program where people build a marketing strategy. So they never waste money on marketing again. And in her question, this week's coaching call in the program, she wrote this whole question at the end. She wrote, and so what do I need to do? Cause I want 10 new clients now. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Let's just 
forget the question for a minute. Let's just back up a little bit how business works. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get 10 new Insta clients. Okay. Like, there's a process to business. And in sales, there is a courtship. And I recently reached out to one of my contacts because I know he had a a whole court case going on and I knew that he was heading into court. And so I just reached out to say like, Hey, how's it going? And and how was that? You know, the court issue, like everything cool. And he's like, how did you know? I'm like, you mentioned it to me. He's like, that was ages ago. I'm like, I wrote it down. I care. <laughs> yeah. It was a big deal for you and you're a big deal for me. So big deals for you are, are deals for me. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. People forget. People forget. People forget that you're doing because they go B to B, B to C, and they forget that it's H to H or P to P, human to human and person to person. Mark your calendar for April 7th. It's book launch day. If you want details on my upcoming book tour, like cities I'll be visiting, how you can meet me in person and get a signed copy of the book, you've got to get your name on the list. This list, it's going to get you the VIP treatment. We've got awesome bonuses prepared, but only for those who have signed up. Go to sleepingwithastranger.com to become a VIP today. That's sleepingwithastranger.com. I always say my students are always shocked and amazed when they open up chapter three of, of my program, The Business Behind the Blooms, and they see that I meet with my clients in person. They're like, what, what, wait, what, huh? <laughs> I send them quotes, you know, by email. And I'm like, yeah, and that's why you're, that's why, you know, I do half a million dollars in weddings and you, and you're struggling to make $10,000 because that, that hum, people buy from people and that human relationship is so important. And that doesn't mean that we can't do things via email and that we can't use things online, but there is such an importance, just like you said, just writing that down and then following back up with that person. It's, it's huge. It really is huge. Okay. So I do want to ask one question about LinkedIn because I, I get this question all the time. How do you find a Kelly? Cause Kelly is my, you know, kind of right-hand person who kind of holds, <laughs> she's the glue who holds everything together, but how do you find a virtual assistant? And can you post about that on LinkedIn and find somebody? So no, you could. So I actually have a fully virtual team, right? So I meet very few people in person, but I meet everyone on video conference, um, including members of my team. So I staff completely virtually. You could, but again, let's go back to the party parable for a second. If you walk into a networking event, yeah, and no one knows you and you're like just, you're, you're a completely new person at the party and you're just like, hey, everybody, I'm looking for a VA. Anyone know somebody? You're going to get the most random recommendations, if anything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and if it is your party and you're, you're out there and you're with the group, so all you got to do is kind of be like, oh guys, yeah, I'm looking for a VA. What do you think? And then your people will give you recommendations. So it's not different than any other platform on Instagram. You could say the same thing. The way I teach staffing is the same way I teach marketing. Cause I believe in marketing to your internal team as well. So when I teach my people staffing, we actually create an avatar the same way in marketing, we create an avatar for our target audience. I actually create avatars with my clients for their staff. So we design their perfect VA and we give them a name. We figure out where they are based and how, and, and then we can easily figure out how we're going to find them the same way you, you figure out how you're going to find your clients. And so are you looking for a VA out in the Philippines or in India? Great. There are specific platforms that you can access them on. Um, are you looking for a 
a local PA that'll be partially VA, partially PA? You're like, who is it that you want? There's no one place that you're going to get an ideal VA. My staff, I've got people in five different time zones <laughs> right now. Um, and, and my glue in my company lives in London. So I wouldn't say just like go on LinkedIn and ask. You definitely could use LinkedIn to hire. You definitely could, but you would do specific targeting for it. And LinkedIn is great for that because you can do a custom search for exactly what you're looking for. Um, but there are specific companies that do this, that do virtual staffing. There are, again, companies like Upwork and FreeUp and all of those where you get someone temporarily and then you can take them permanently. Um, I, I've worked with a few of them. I don't personally... Because I like to hire and train and, and I'll be frank, negotiate with my people myself. I don't love using the companies, but for someone who's just starting out, it, it could be really helpful to piggyback. Otherwise, target profile your person. Once you target profile them, you'll know where you're going to find them. You'll know if they're on LinkedIn at that party or if they're at the other party or if they're not on any of these parties and you need to find them through an organization or through a contact. You know, I do um, job postings. I've never used Indeed or Monster or any of these. I use local community groups. Once I've targeted my person, I will do, and most of these groups allow you to post for free, by the way, because it's a community service. So I will do a local post and a local community newsletter, and that's how I get most of my best staff. I love this. And my mind's a little bit blown about <laughs> of the different social media platforms as parties and how you have to think about this person that you're wanting to attract and what party are they hanging out at. That is so key. Oh my goodness. I love it so much. Okay. So, which I say somebody like if you're in the wedding industry and you're trying to attract brides, Pinterest is the platform to be on because that is what party a potential a, a bride to be is hanging out on. Hundred they're percent. They're creating their wedding boards and their vision boards for for their perfect wedding, and so that has got to be the platform you're hanging out at because that's where your client is. That okay? You just the way that you said that. I feel like I've been trying to say that all year about Pinterest and 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 wedding clients, and you somehow just said it in like one sentence that all clicked and made so much sense. And I love you for that. I mean, that's incredible. Okay, so yesterday I was so we're we're gearing up, we're leading into our um, next course launch. When I was answering some questions on my Instagram story yesterday, just to kind of get engagement up and all that good stuff, because the majority of my clients hang out on Instagram. And um, so one of them asked a question and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Esty this tomorrow <laughs> and what her answer would be for it because I get asked questions like this a lot. And I would love to know your opinion, uh, what you would say to this. So she asks, she says with massive dreams, like the goal of a floral slash gift slash coffee shop combo and no financial backing, how do I begin? Love it. I love it. So I, I'm beyond excited to answer this question because we're launching our next program called Business Idea Bootcamp, where you put your idea through bootcamp to see if it has what it takes and give it the basic training it needs to guarantee profitability from zero. 
And, and the way we do it is there are five core archetypes that I found. So I'm doing this over 10 years now, right? I've worked with hundreds of micro business owners in the zero to six, seven figure space. And I find that there are only five core archetypes and each archetype has a path. And so I would call this person most likely the creative. Here's what I say to the creative. Your leverage is your uniqueness because there's nobody like you. There's no one doing exactly what you do. And you get to your big dream by going one step at a time. I believe you can climb any ladder, just not 14 rungs at a time. So what is the first smallest thing that you can offer that will earn you money? Before you open the store, can you do this store, can you do it first as a service? Can you do it first on consignment, right? People who want to, let's say, launch a product. I say, first, can you do something on consignment? Can you do a custom? Can you do a Kickstarter, right? There's always a place that you can start with no money. Sarah Blakely is one of my favorite stories of how she started Spanx. Sarah Blakely says that her, her and I might be botching it, you can look it up online, but what I remember of it is that, you know, she basically got enough fabric to make one thing, Right. And she went and struck a deal on that one thing and, and sold it and then was able to um, get the funding to do more. Like she did, she invested very little in the beginning. I'm mixing it up with another story of someone I know. And that, that's my confusion. The story of the person that I know personally, like one on one, who's got a stable seven figure profit business in the, let's say, the intimate apparel industry, um, is that she started by doing consignment work for another company where she did the custom designs and it was like a 50-50 deal. They paid for all the raw materials because she didn't have any budget and she did all of the work in the beginning. And again, you have to structure these deals very carefully, right? So you don't lose everything in the end. But that was how she launched her first line was someone else funding, splitting the profits, her doing the work. You don't need money. You just need the right strategy. It's not a matter of money. You want to open the store? Listen, I've worked with people who are like, listen, it's Z or nothing, right? Because A to Z, I need everything at once. I must open the store and it's got to have everything in it. And I'm like, cool. So you might burn a lot of money for a while. You might eventually break even after seven years. And if you like to work for free really hard for a long time on the hope that you'll get paid, cool. I got a lot of jobs for you. Want to work for me? I'll let you work for free for seven years and maybe pay you at the end. Have fun. Or... You could have a profit strategy, which includes starting smaller or figuring out where your leverage is. Where do you bring value to the table that matches someone else's value? So again, there are investors, people who will put in the money when you put in this, what we call sweat equity, right? You put in the time, energy, effort, creativity, and you split the profits. That's a way you could start with no money. Or like this person, she wants to have, a, you said it's a floral, what's the specific example? She said she would like to have a floral gift coffee shop combo. Now, can I just say something real quick? And I don't want to be like the lady who uh, who was your, you know, you admired so much and said, no one will ever, you, you can't do that. No one will ever take you seriously. My thing that I see when I see this is those are three completely different businesses. And it is hard sometimes to make one of those really profitable and work. And so my opinion would honestly be to first, let's pick one. And then out of that particular business, let's pick one service that would go within that industry. I mean, floral is one thing. Do you Are you looking to be an everyday floral shop? Are you looking to be a wedding floral service only? You know, coffee, this is another, that's a totally different business. So for me, I think right off the bat, can we narrow this down a little bit? So that's one way to go. 
that is definitely one way to go. And I always find it depends on the person because if this person is a classic creative, and this is why we do marketing magic, the first thing we do is core brand, which is where is this coming from? What she might be wanting is not this triple combo so much as creating a space. That's what it's sounding like to me. It's a space creation, in which case it's not three things. It's the space that I'm creating. How do I create this space that's pretty and it smells good and it feels good and, and there's gifting involved and there's all these things. And so to me, I'm, I'm not answering the question of, can I run three businesses out the door? No, that sounds crazy. Uh, of course it does. Like it'll, that, that's the kind of person who works for free for seven years in the hopes that they get paid at the end and they usually don't. Um, but... <laughs> But if you go from the angle of creating a space, then we might not do all these three things. We might, I have no idea, but maybe, and again, I'm just going to throw out the idea. Let's say this was her thing. She wants to create a space. Let's say she finds someone who has a store or a shop and they can give her a corner to play with. Yeah. And she pays them each percentage of sales or like a very, very tiny rent, but ideally percentage of sales. Um, because what she'd be looking for, again, it's value exchange. Where do you have something that you will benefit someone else and they will benefit you? And so if there was a store, maybe it's even a coffee shop, where does someone have a space that they can let her play with that she can then, maybe they already sell coffee so she can use their coffee right? And then she can maybe bring in another existing gifter where there's also like a consignment deal. And again, this is a kickoff strategy, right? Like when I started, I was partnering with other designers and printers. Now we have these people in-house. But sorry, I was just going to interrupt and say, I think that a lot of creatives want to go from A to Z and they don't want to put in, you know, the foundational work that's going to get you to Z. And that's what I always say is, is we can't just, we don't just, you know, people will say to me, I have a friend, a really great friend who's, who's the most incredible artist and she wanted to start selling rugs and her ideas were amazing. And when I started asking her about, you know, the, the foundational work of it, it was kind of like, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. And it's just, it's a lot of people go directly to Z. And I think sometimes when you start talking just right there saying, well, what if you did this? What if you did this? They automatically almost kind of stop listening because they're like, well, that's not what I want. That's not what I want to do. And so I just want to say for those of you who are who are tuning this out or who are turning the radio down or about to switch the channel because you don't like this option, this option is, it's like, what are you willing to do to get what you want to get? And I always say you can do anything for a year. You can do anything for a year. So, okay, continue. Totally. No, that was so spot on. And and people do because they, they don't like that little dose of reality. <laughs> It's uncomfortable, right? Um, and I know I'm I'm known to to give reality out in in spades because that's that is the reality of it. And people are like, no, but my friend launched this thing to me. And I'm like, yeah, look at her two years later. Is it still alive? Oh no! But it was really good for six months, right? And how much money did she burn in those six months? Would you do you have money to burn? Because you could just give it to me instead. I could find better uses for it. Sure, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. There's, there's a process, 100%. And, and, and this is why I love like microwave oven example. And I talk about this as a relationship example also, right? If you want microwave business or microwave relationship, it'll heat up real fast. But if you ever heated up food in the microwave, it also cools down really fast. Not only that, it's kind of rubbery. Know why? Because the microwave doesn't really heat up food. It heats up the water molecules in the food. So if you're heating pizza up in the microwave, here's your hack. Put a little tiny cup of water, just spill some water on the plate, and it won't taste like rubber. Same for chicken. Because microwaves heat up the water molecules in the food, not the food, which is why it cools off real fast. So if you want a microwave relationship, cool. It'll cool off real fast. And if you want a microwave business, same deal. 
You can peak real fast and it will cool real fast. You need ovens. Ovens heat up the actual food molecule. So it takes longer, but then your food is yummy and it's not rubbery and gross and it doesn't get cold six seconds later. Right. It's going to last. It's going to yeah. last a little, a little longer. Yeah. yeah. So so for this, this example, I would say, what do you really want? And what's your biggest skill set? Because everyone does have their superpower. And don't tell me your superpower is coffee, gifts, and flowers. Pick your favorite. I don't have a favorite. Pick one anyways. Went up to dinner with my son last night. He could not decide between two chickens. The waiter had to come back twice. I was like, sweetie, I love you to pieces, but I'm going to tell the waiter to bring my food. And if you still haven't chosen... You can share mine, but then we're going to leave. Like, like you have to at some point pick something. Right, right. I feel like okay, no one ever did that for some people. You know? I know. Running a floral business isn't always as pretty as the flowers themselves. I spent more than $100,000 educating myself and figuring out how to make this business work for me and fully support my family of five. If you're wanting to know how to not only run a profitable business, but also hear all my firsthand experiences of navigating how to deal with difficult brides, make automated systems, create proposals, set boundaries in your work, and book every bride you want, you need to check out Business Behind the Blooms. Go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash BBB to get more information. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash BBB. I'm going to go off script for, for just a second because I have you and I'm really interested in your take on this. And then we're, we're going to get back to marketing. But I find sometimes that, and you're a mom and you're a wife and you're, you're a business owner, I find that there's almost this rise that I see of women who are new moms thinking they have to own a business in order to be successful or to be seen as successful or that, you know, they, they can't be help another business succeed. Like one of the things I love about Zimmerman is we have, you know, eight other women on this team. Most of them are moms and they get to be present with their family and they still get to feel respected and seen within their work. But I do know that there are a lot of women out there who think the only way they're going to earn that respect is to say that they are a business owner. And don't you think that you really have to kind of take a second and define, like you were just saying, and I loved that. I loved that you saw kind of through that and saw, okay, well, the floral gift coffee shop combo what is it that she really wants? Because it's probably not that. It's that she wants a space. So do you have a question that you ask yourself or that you ask others? Like, like, how do you really define success? Or what is it that you really, really want? Like, wh- how do you answer that for yourself? Totally. It's such a hard question. Um, a lot of people think, I, my, what I've seen, people think that happiness is success. It's the same thing, right? If I'm happy, I'm successful. I think that happiness is just a byproduct of a life well-lived right? When you're being true to what you really want, then you're happy. Um, I actually do this exercise. So we do it with my premier clients and we do it sometimes as a bonus for, for our course participants. And it's a work-life balance workshop. And uh, the way I go through it is it, it's like a blend of like Covey and my own stuff. And I don't even know what, but I teach something called GRVP, goals, roles, values, priorities, what everyone has different roles in life. Yeah. So, you know, my example, I've got wife, mother, 
business owner, boss, community member, self, people forget self very often. Um, and, you know, and, you know, you might have sister, daughter. I find that most people can, can be active in like their top three to four max. You've got to be brutally honest with yourself. What's really most important to you? Is it your professional success? And, and it's so hard because we're so inclined to lie because we want to fit that model. We're like, no, it's most important to me to be there with my children and my spouse. And then my job is third. And like, let's be frank, most people, and for sure, most business owners, business is first. Like, I'm just going to be obnoxious about it. It's true. You spend most of your time in your business. You're doing it for your family. But if push comes to shove, do you choose your kid or your work? Which one? Because that's going to dictate your priority. And we are most unhappy when we are not in line with our values, whatever they are. Some of us need to work. And the more honest you can be with yourself, do you need to work? Great. You don't need to be a business owner. There are a lot of part-time jobs. We also, and I think with the rise of female businesses, you have more women understanding women. At least there's both, right? There's the women who are like evil boss ladies who are like, I've sacrificed all my life and all my children. And so you will also, and don't work for those. Um, but there's people like me and you who, you know, when I have also a lot of, of moms on my team and their full time is three quarter time. And I'm okay with that. I've struggled with it because yeah, it'd be a lot easier to be like, no, I need your like 40 plus hours a week because like I've trained you and you're in and like, it's harder to hire and train more people, but that's not my mission. I want everyone to do what they love, earn buckets of money and have time for their life and family. That includes my clients. That includes my staff. And, uh, you know, when one of my staff recently went on maternity leave and she's like, okay, SD, so like, when do I have to come back? I said, when do you think you'll be ready? She's like, excuse me. (laughs) She's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, how soon do you think you can start? She said, I think, you know, six weeks I'd like to start. I said, really? Because I think six weeks is evil. I think that that maternity leave time span was invented by a non-female who never had actual babies, who never had their body turned absolutely inside out, um, where all their organs moved. Okay, dude, if you had serious abdominal surgery, are you back at work full time after six weeks? I don't think so. Okay, so I said, listen, if you're ready, that would be fantastic. Um, but if you're not, and again, we have certain arrangements in terms of, of mat leave pay that, that accommodate. I said, I can't necessarily pay you for an extended leave, but I want you to heal and I want you to come back in the way that you can. And so by six weeks, she started already doing some part-time stuff. Um, it took her, I think, almost four months to be back at full capacity but that's what she needed. And I am so grateful I could give that to her. And I think for new moms, it's not a matter of you have to own your own business. You have to find what works for you in your new life setup. And that might mean working for a business that's giving you more flexibility. It might mean starting your own thing, but it might not because I have news for you. When you own a business, you can take a day off whenever you want, but you never get a day off in your life. That was a very long answer. No, but I loved it. That was so good and so true. And I think that's going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Okay. So back on track. How important is your online presence in continuing to grow a profitable business? Depends on your business. It honestly, honestly depends on your business. So at the basic level, and this is what we teach all of our, all of our people, you must have some form of web presence. You must show up when I search you online. That part is critical. So if you want to continue to grow and you want to have a business, you need to show up in a positive professional way when someone searches you online. And I'm being very specific about that. You don't have to have a website. It depends how big you are. You don't have to have every social media profile. 
you ha- if I Google you, you have to show up because otherwise you don't exist. You could be standing right in front of me. I could be talking to you and I Google you and you're fake. Like you're just not real. It doesn't matter that you're in front of me and I can touch you. You're, you're not real. So you have to be findable in a positive professional way, which means I don't want to see like, you know, if you had any bad press, right? There's reputation management companies for stuff like that. Um, and I don't want to just see a bunch of personal information. I want to see something professional. So that's at a base level. Everything beyond that, having a website, what kind of website, which social media profiles, how robust they have to be, how active you have to be on them, that really depends on what your goal is in your business and what you're trying to do. If you're running a primarily local business, you might need a basic lead page and a very strong Yelp profile. And that could be enough to get to a nice seven figures easy. It's very, it's very custom. And if you're running a multinational consulting firm, then you probably need a really good website, a bunch of sales funnels and a robust LinkedIn profile. And, you know, Instagram or Facebook is bonus. Um, Twitter is also bonus. Um, But that might be your baseline. So I think it really depends what you do. Okay, good. I love that. Good question. So I, I believe that people who have a wedding business. So people who are either wedding planners or floral designers or photographers, that these people, their website is very important. They've got, if they're wanting people to pay them money to, for their services, they've got to show their services on their website. They've got to be, you know, alive and well on the internet. Yeah. If you're selling online, so you just said for a growing business, if you're selling online, you better have a good online funnel, not just presence. Um, and this is, I think, a mistake a lot of people make. They they try to sell online from brochure sites. Okay, a brochure site is a brochure. Would you walk around, let's say even a networking event, just handing out brochures and walking away? No. If your website does nothing but showcase, that's not enough if you're trying to sell online. It's got to sell. And what that means is the language needs to be there and there needs to be a path that you take people on. You want to figure out how you're going to hold their hand. The technology is so sophisticated now. You can get automatic help centers and chatbots and the stuff can link to you and, you know, funnels into like, there's so many pathways. You just, you have to choose your path, but, but it's gotta be there for sure. Yeah. yeah. If anyone is trying to sell online, like that's mandatory. That is not an optional. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It amazes me when I talk to people who are trying to have a business and they they just say to me, oh, well, I don't have a website. All I have is an Instagram page. And I just think, no, that's- No, you need a home base because those are the people that are so at risk because Instagram owns them and they could shut down any second. The day that Facebook, Instagram went offline a couple months ago, how mm-hmm. many panicked calls did you get? Because I got right a bunch. Down. Yeah. Because they've got no nothing else. Yeah, no, you can't. You got to have a home base. Because again, and go back to our party analogy. That's like trying to do all your sales at a party. You've got no store. You've got no house. You live at the party. You never get to relax. You're always on call. You've got no. There's no automation. There's no network. There's nothing. The second you're not at that party, everything dies. As opposed to if you invite people from the party back to your house and they get to know you, maybe some of them start to live there. You know, like that's a whole different story. Right. Absolutely. You're exactly right. So what are some, because I feel like, again, kind of going back to that original uh, question from that student, that a lot of people are doing, you know, trying to start, just start, just get started with their business. What are some zero dollar ways or some low cost ways that you can target ideal customers through your online presence? Okay. So I'm going to give you a bootcamp preview because this is exactly what we're building in the third module of bootcamp, which is the marketing module, which is basically how you are 
any business under a hundred dollars. It's really, really cool. Um, so I believe that everyone needs at least one piece of, um, web presence and one piece of physical presence, right? So a piece of physical collateral and digital collateral. So I want you to have a business card. You can go to Vistaprint for six bucks. You can have your best friend do it and then print them for $10. Like, I don't care. Like this should be a less than $10 expense. I want you to have a physical representation that you could hand out in person to people. And I want you to have something online. And again, you can build your own website in something like Webs or Weebly or Wix or Strikingly if you're creatively talented and that will cost you $0. Or you can just create a nice social media profile and that also will cost you $0. Um, so net cost so far, we're like at 10. Okay. Um, then that that's my baseline of what my assets need to be. Then I need you to identify your strength. So I find that all of my business owners, all, all entrepreneurs, all entrepreneurs, as they don't like to be called, but we're going to just be really mean for a second. Everyone who wants to start a business owns one of these four strengths and you can leverage this to get out the door again less than a hundred dollars might even be less than 50 depending. So strength number one is what I call the sales guy, right? You're just like, you're just good at making sales. <laughs> like that's what you're good at. Um, great at networking, cold calling, cold sales, not embarrassed to approach strangers, not embarrassed to call strangers. That's a skill. See if you have it, then hold that thought. Skill number two that some people have is what I call the broadcast, right? So these are people who are great public speakers. Um, they're broadcast personalities. They can get up in front of a room. They can rally a crowd. That's a broadcast. Person number three, and, and some people overlap, right? They'll, they'll be in different levels in the different skill sets. Person number three is what I call the one-on-one. Um, they're good at deep relationships. They're not good at getting up in front of crowds. They're not good at cold sales, but they have very deep relationships. Okay. So are you a one-on-one deep connector? Skill number four is uh, I call it the connector. And the connector just is they're really good at finding that value exchange. Um, they have big networks or strong networks, or they just know how to leverage a network. Like, you know, I think my friend's brother-in-law knows a producer that does this thing. Let, let me get in touch with him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. And so wherever you're strongest, start there. You might say, oh, I have two of them. Fantastic. You might say, but I don't have the first one. I don't care if you don't have the first one. Which of the other ones do you have? It's always the one-on-one people, by the way, who, who say that. The one-on-one people are always like feeling inferior to the, the deal makers, the broadcasters, and the networkers. And they don't recognize how valuable the one-on-one skill is. So if you're good at cold calling, amazing. Identify your target person and go figure out how you can sell them. And you can even sell in advance. Right. Um, I don't know if you did this, but my first program now, I've been doing this for over 10 years, but Marketing Magic sold about 30 members before I built it. I built it live with them. I sold it first. Now, I knew exactly what I was doing. I've been doing it one on one with clients for 10 years before that. But the actual thing, people think they have to first build it and then people will come. Go get your person first. Okay. Right. So it depends what you're doing. I'm giving you kind of the broad strokes, but this is kind of, you know, module three of business bootcamp in a nutshell. Um, go leverage your strength and go and sell stuff even before it's there. So if it's a product, you can pre-sell it. You can Kickstarter it. If it's a um, service, it's very easy to sell before, you know, cause you're doing it in real time with people structure, whatever you're doing that you can go and, and get your leads and sell first. If you are the broadcast personality, go and speak. You can use social media as a broadcast platform. So get on your stories or your feeds and go and broadcast. And again, it's not about broadcasting your sales. It's about getting the people in soft selling or go and speak for general assembly, speak for a BNI group, go look out meetup for things that, again, you've got to identify your person first. I've got to know who they are, but then go get in front of them and use that broadcast skill to tell them what you do and why they want to get in on it. Use broadcast one-on-one people, 
go get your ambassador. You have close relationships with people in your network who they have people, and maybe they're another personality type, um, and very often they are. Go and get your ambassadors. Sit. Go have a phone call or go to a coffee shop with your people and talk to them. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to get off the ground. What do you think? Do you have any ideas for me? Do you have any connections? You're, you're going deep with people and you're looking to build ambassadors. And if you are the connector, go explore your network. You've got someone in there that can help you get off the ground. You've just got to get those first few deals, those first few sales, those first few clients, because then you start having money and then you can take a percentage of that to grow it. But just to get those first few things, find which type you are and leverage that to get in front of your people. If you want to build a great business or live a good life, you've got to plan for it. Every year, I take a whole month to reevaluate the past 12 months and figure out what worked, what didn't, and how I can create a life I love for the following year. I teach you my exact planning process in my program, Know Your Numbers, annual planning for your best year. If you want a free training to get some tips on planning your best year yet, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash Know Your Numbers. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash Know Your Numbers. What is the most common mistake that you see clients making that eat away at their profit margins? I think the biggest mistake that I see is that they try to copy something that they see someone else doing. They pay money for it, but they don't realize the strategy behind it. Mm. And so they'll be like, oh, this person you know, um, did a booth at that trade show. I should be there. Or this person put an ad in this magazine, or this person's doing Facebook ads, and they they see some kind of paid thing, and they think you know because you know let's be frank in the Western world in America more than anything we think money is the answer to everything and money solves all your problems and so they're like well if I pay for it it must work and so they look at something someone else is doing and they pay money for it and even if it's just you know building a website or a logo or branding they're like I build the website they will come and they pay money and they bleed that money and they don't get it back because there's a whole strategy behind that of you know finding that core uniqueness finding your audience figuring out the problem you solve figuring out the right price points and strategy to reach them figuring out how you're going to sell and close the deals and they just take this one tiny piece that they see on the outside and I I give the example of kind of like you know selling snow cones or you see someone else has a cool snow cone stand and they're killing it in the middle of the summer. And they're just like, oh my gosh, lines around the corner. You're like, I got to do that. So you open a snow cone stand, not that far away and crickets. You're like, I don't get it. But what they're not selling, what you don't realize is they're selling icebergs, not snow cones. You don't see all the stuff that went in behind it. You just see the stand. So you go and you buy yourself a stand and you buy the ice and you buy the syrups and you're like, you open your doors and, and nothing. Cause you don't realize everything that went on behind the scenes to make that work. And to me, that's the biggest mistake I see people make is they just, they don't realize how much more is. And I feel like you and I have been saying this in so many different ways this entire time, which is that you look at the surface of something and it's like, look at the surface of anybody. You don't know the struggles that go on behind it. You don't know any of the behind the scenes. And you're like, I want her life. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't know what it really looks like. So you're like, I want that business. You know what? Maybe yes, but maybe no. Cause you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what it took to build that the blood, sit and tears that went into it to get there. And if you don't want that, that comes with it, you'll never get to where they're at. If you want the whole package, you're good, but you can never copy that little outside thing that you saw and just, you know, put your name on it and think that it's going to work. Right. Absolutely. How do you make your limited time more powerful with five children in your home? Ah, I delegate everything that can possibly be delegated, honestly. (laughs) 
So like, I don't do laundry. And at the end, this is where everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. And it's like, no, but can I explain? Like, I, I love my my housekeeper to pieces. She's the most amazing person, but she ruined my favorite sweatshirt because I never would have washed it the way it was washed and now it's ruined. So like, if I had done it, it would still be my favorite sweatshirt. Now it's the sweatshirt I had to buy a new one of. <laughs> yes, what people also don't understand is when I talk to somebody and they say, oh, must be nice to have a cleaning lady up. Oh, must be nice to have somebody else do your laundry. Well, the thing is, is I can pay that person you know, a hundred bucks to, to completely do clean, clean our whole home. That what that hundred dollars did was give me time to make a thousand. You know what I mean? That was the realization I had like a couple of years ago when we first moved to LA, I was like, you know, I had to start my, I started my business three times. I started it abroad. Then we moved to LA five years ago and I built it again. And then after I had my last kid, who's now two and a half, the business died because I got really sick for six months um, during the pregnancy and afterwards recovering and I had to build it again. So I built it three times. And so if, when I built it, when we moved to LA the second time, I didn't have a lot of business. So I was, you know, doing everything at home because didn't have the, the extra money to hire a lot of help. And I had so much trouble doing dishes. Like I just, I'm not domesticated. I don't know what to say. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm a really good organizer. I'm not a great scrubber. I'm extremely orderly. So my house is very systematic. The toys are set up in a great organizational system that the kids can even keep up on their own. Like these are the things I'm good at. I'm bad at dishes. Okay. And so I, I just wasn't getting to them and there'd be like dirty dishes on the counter. I'd be like, Esty, get it together and just wash the stupid dishes. And I tried reward systems and I tried cards and I tried punishing myself and I tried rewarding myself. I am telling you, I tried everything that I could possibly do and I wasn't doing the dishes. And finally I was like, you know what? Esther, you're being an idiot. Take two extra clients and hire more help to wash the stupid dishes. Because I'm trying to create this perfect work balance where I work these many hours and I spend these many hours in my house and I make sure I have enough time at home to get all these things done. Instead, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to add more capacity to my work time and hire more help to wash my dishes because I'm really good at what I do and they're really good at that. Absolutely. Okay. So final question because our time is almost up. Um I like to end all podcast interviews with this question. I find it interesting. Okay. If you had Oprah money, so billions of dollars, right? And you had to spend it on something just for you, something totally selfish, what would you buy? A beach house. <laughs> That's that is totally what I would get. It's so funny because I, I've thought about this before and I've always had a different answer. My answer's always been like, you know, a full-time chef and full-time help and like my own mom team, you know, a sister wife <laughs> without the whole polygamy piece. Um, but like someone to like take all that over. But as we were just talking about all this, I'm like, I kind of have a lot of that already without the Oprah money. So I don't need the Oprah money for that, but I love beaches. Like I try to do a beach day once a month. I won't mention the last, it's probably been two months. Um, but I would buy like a gorgeous beach house in a gorgeous place so that I could just go there and just be still with the sand and the water and have that kind of space. There's something about the beach. We just came, we went to California for two weeks over Thanksgiving. And I I think I went to California five or six times this past year. Spent a lot of time in WeHo. Um, I didn't know you then. I wish I would have. I would have, we could have had lunch. Um, I'll be back this next year. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. But um, there is just something about the ocean that just, and the beach, the sand that just, I don't know, there's like a calming. Yeah soothing uh, presence to it. It's so good. Okay, Esty, thank you so much. Tell us all where we can find you, where we can hunt you down. Oh, okay. So if you go to estyran.com slash free gift, not only will you find me, 
but you'll get a present. So it's E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com slash free gift. And I change it up. At the moment, it's our five-day marketing success challenge. So a lot of the stuff that I was talking about with like social media party, that's built into the challenge. And it is currently free. It's going to get put behind a paywall um, sometime in Q1 of this year. So I recommend grabbing it now. And when I do put it behind a paywall, there'll be a different thing at free gift. So if you go to sdram.com slash free gift, there'll always be something cool for you. But at the moment, grab it while you can. It's five day marketing success challenge, which is a $267 mini course that we are currently putting out there for free because I'm crazy. I love it. That's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on here. You were so wonderful and vulnerable and gave us so many good nuggets of wisdom. I cannot thank you enough. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you so much. This was amazing. And I love speaking with rock stars like you. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much, Esty, for visiting Zimmerman Podcast. My challenge to you today is to implement one thing you learned from Esty this week. I can't wait to hear how your business grows. And don't forget to catch Thursday's bonus under the cover episode where we talk about the day I found out I'd be writing my memoir and the call that changed everything. See you next time. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.